Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're in Matthew chapter 23. Kind of having a little unusual topic today. We're going to be talking about what parents need to learn from the Pharisees of all people. Now, I think this broadcast, you might learn something you've never heard before, and I'm not trying to be novel, but if you would select a chapter of the Bible, and in the Catholic Bible, there's 1,334 chapters, and if you would say something that would, in the Bible that would apply to family life, I think Matthew 23 would be either on the bottom one or maybe 2% of chapters of all the chapters in the Bible you would, you would pick. Let me give you a very quick, very simple, highly effective way to study the Bible. It's three steps. The first, you try to determine what it says. And so you read the passage that you're studying or the chapter very carefully maybe read it even a few times. And then if you have another translation, like we're using the Revised Standard Version, the Catholic edition, well, you could get the English Standard Version, which is also a great translation, a Catholic version of that, and compare the two translations to find out carefully what it says. Then the second step, what does it mean? And then you have a study Bible, like the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible is a great place to help you determine what it means. And then the third step, and believe it or not, this can often be the hardest step. For instance, step two, what does it mean? I have a ton of commentaries that can, you know, from all angles, help you determine the meaning that St. Matthew had for Matthew chapter 23, but then how does that apply to family life? That sometimes can be the most difficult step. And especially if it's going to apply to parenting or family life, in other words, beyond the individual. But I'm always on the lookout for the practical because I sense that that's uh, kind of a neglected aspect in both Protestants and Catholic circles. And the Bible says, I think it was Jesus's promise, seek and you will find. Well, I'm looking for application, family application, and I'm going to share a resource for you that you might probably, actually, you probably already have. In the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible, which I know a lot of you use, you may not know this, but in the back of each little volume, there are study questions. And I'm looking at John chapter 15, for instance, and it has four questions for understanding. That will help you for the what it means section. But then under it, there are questions, four questions for application. And application is very important because we don't just study the Bible to get smart about Bible knowledge, it's to apply it to our lives. And so to me, I came to Matthew 23, particularly the first half of the chapter, and there were family applications that just jumped off the page at me. So here we go. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 3, 
Uh, by the way, let me just put this in context. The entire chapter 23, Jesus is laying into the Pharisees and sometimes the Sadducees, the leaders of Israel in that first century setting, the like of which I am not aware of anything else in the, in the New Testament. He is very strong, condemning them in every such way. The second half of Matthew 23 has the seven woes, and every time you see the number seven, or not every time, but often when you see the number seven in Scripture, it's a number of completeness. And by the seven woes, he's like chewing these Pharisees out in every which way possible. And he begins in chapter 23 and verse 3. He says of the Pharisees, well, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Ouch. Do you want a rebuke to every Protestant preacher, to every Catholic homilist, to religious teachers and catechists? Yes, Christian radio host and parents, it's to preach but not practice. If you want to fuel rebellion in your children, and it may not happen immediately, but by the time they hit the teens, just preach but don't practice. This is something you need to know from or at least about the Pharisees. You don't follow their example. What should you do? How would you apply this? Well, you practice and then you have a platform from which to preach. But Jesus says a little later in Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And hypocrites are those who preach and don't practice. So just reverse that. As a parent, you wanna make sure you're practicing what you preach and teach and exhort your children to do. All right, that's, that's really important, very simple, the application is tough, but necessary. All right, number two, the next verse, verse four, it says, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by men. Now, you're gonna think I'm a little off here, but stay with me because the Pharisees actually had a pretty noble beginning, and they weren't all bad. Let me give you a little history of what went on. After the death of Alexander the Great, his great Greek empire, it broke up into parts, but each part tried to unify the society by expanding the practice of Hellenism or Greek culture, Greek morality, uh, Greek thought, and the one of the successors of Alexander the Great was a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And if you know anything about biblical prophecy, this was a really wicked guy, lived in the times before Christ, who was actually a type of the Antichrist because he went after the Jews because the Jews had practices like circumcision and Sabbath keeping and dietary laws, which separated them from people like the Hellenists, the Greeks. And so Antiochus didn't want that separation, so he forbid all this, and the whole 
book of Maccabees in the Old Testament, 1st, 2nd Maccabees, and the Feast of Hanukkah, which is practiced by Jews today. It was about a rebellion to Antiochus Epiphanes. And why did they react so fiercely the attempt to accommodate to their culture? It's this. The Jews had accommodated themselves to the pagan life around them in the Middle East, and God judged the nation by taking them into captivity to Babylon, into a foreign country. After the Jews were permitted to return to Israel, they learned their lesson and resisted the idea of Antiochus Epiphanes and Hellenizing the Jews because they didn't want to be conquered and deported again. And you had this group called the Pharisees grew up at this time, and they wanted to encourage the Jews to be separate from the pagan culture surrounding them. Now, I hope you're kind of fast forwarding, like how does this apply to parents, where we are as faithful Catholic parents surrounded by a pagan culture. And so the Pharisees, very noble, again, their name means separated ones. They wanted to live that different, separated way of life from the pagans that was being forced down their throats. But what happened is that the Pharisees, and hear this Catholic parents, took a good thing, being separated from the pagans, and took it too far, became too rigid in their attempts to stay free from paganism. And what was the fatal result of their doing that? Well, listen to Jesus coming back to Matthew 23, going a little bit forward to verse 15. Jesus says, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte, that's a convert, and we, when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. In other words, taking a good idea, being the separated ones, being a Pharisee, becoming rigid, taking it too far, and loading up the burden, so to speak, and going beyond what even God required. It's, a tense, it's basically overcompensation is what they were doing. Well, as, as a result, Jesus says you're taking your converts and making them twice as much a child of hell as you are. And that's a pretty dangerous thing. And sometimes you wonder, why do my kids, you know, they've gone to a Catholic school, maybe even Catholic college, and try to find a good parish, we try to be good Catholic parents, and, and they go away. Well, there's a lot of reasons why, but we don't, as much as, as possible, we don't want as parents to be the cause of that by being so concerned by the surrounding culture that we don't become like Pharisees in Jesus's day. They took it way too far. So what would you emphasize? Well, in the early church, in the Council of Jerusalem, which is the first church council, they were trying to decide, what should we do with all these Gentiles, converts, coming into the church? 
And it says this in Acts 15.10, Now therefore, why do you make a trial of God by putting a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Hear this. If you're just uh, enforcing rules to the point they become burdensome, thinking like, ouch, you know, I look at what's going on in our culture, I'm going to double up on the rules and maybe rules that God doesn't really have a whole lot about. And I'm emphasizing the burdens, the rules, the real little intricate things we have to do or not to do. But the Council of Jerusalem didn't go that route. They says, we believe that we'll be saved, not by becoming Pharisees to the extreme, we shall be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Grace is so important. And you know that if you're a normal human being, and I trust that you are, each of us has a faulty switch in our brains. And it's the default switch. Unless your mind is nurtured by scripture, your default switch has a little voice saying to you, God loves me because of the stuff I do. Or God loves me because of the stuff I don't do. And that's a faulty switch. And you need to hear what the scriptures say, the New Testament scriptures say about grace. The New Testament says, God loves me because, fill in the blank, God loves me because he loves me, not because I do stuff. And particularly in today's world, how are you going to resist a pagan culture? Well, the Pharisees tried very hard. In fact, they tried excessively hard to resist a pagan culture. They started out with very noble intentions, but they took it so far. And what Jesus was saying, the the fruit of doing that is that people are going to, I'm just, this is my terminology, just burn out and quit and then become like their pagan neighbors. And as you know, any Christian who gives up on their Christian faith and joins the pagan world doesn't just stay a light pagan. They can fall headlong right into paganism. And this is what happens with teens and young adults. Too many regulations, too many rules, too many homiletic exhortations, too many catechetical instructions, too many rules-based radio programs, all emphasizing doing stuff without an emphasis on grace. Now, I have referred to a paragraph in a valuable little booklet entitled Introduction to the Catechism of the Catholic Church by then Cardinal Ratzinger and Archbishop Schornborn. And if um, this building was on fire and I had two minutes to uh, grab the books in my library, this little book, which I, I have Actually, I've never met anybody who has actually read this thing. I would regard as one of the books I would want to take out. I have repeatedly mentioned what I'm about to read to you, and it's not that I have forgotten that I have mentioned this several times. The reason is I see catastrophic mistakes being made by Catholic parents and parishes, especially committed 
orthodox, maybe even homeschooling parents who take their faith very seriously and realize we're living in a pagan culture and things think that we just need to double up or triple up on doing stuff, and that will bring burnout. This is what it says there. And by the way, my little book, Grace and Justification, has the quotes from that book, plus why that quote is important in just two pages, pages 12 to 13 of Grace and Justification. But here's what Cardinal Ratzker and the Archbishop said. Only when he recognizes the supernatural power that flows from his being in Christ through the Holy Spirit, that's the power of grace, can the faithful disciple of Christ make the effort with confident heart to practice the Christian life according to the Decalogue. Without a strong emphasis on grace, the precepts of the Decalogue seem to exceed our human capacity. And this is why the Pharisees are a prime example for Catholic parents of what not to do, starting off great, uh, wanting to be separate, but the power to be separate in today's world, unless you can you know, volunteer for a space mission, you're going to have all kinds of cultural pressures, and you need the pressure that comes from having the Holy Spirit alive and active in the heart of your children, because that's the power um, to live in a pagan culture and not succumb to it. So uh, that that one's really important. Okay. Now, uh, the question that every Protestants seem to want to ask Catholics. I don't understand the question in a way why it's so important. But in chapter 23, verses 8 and 9, it's the call no man father verse. But it's not just that. Jesus says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brethren, and call no man father on earth. You have one father, and call no one teacher. Now, if you're going to pick on Catholics for calling their priest father, then pick on Jewish people for calling their rabbi, rabbi, and school kids for when they raise their hand to a teacher, I have a question, pick on them too, because all three are mentioned. And some, for some reason, folks can't quite catch the idea of a hyperbole. Uh, what Jesus is saying is when the Pharisees took a uh, valid position as a religious leader and then took it too far, kind of like the Pharisees taking the legalism, the rules-based stuff, too far. And he, he says in the very next verse, uh, he who is greatest must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So, you know, kids are allowed to call their dad's father, and Catholics are allowed to call their priest's father, so long it doesn't exalt that person to a degree that the Pharisees and, and um, you know, it can very easily go to a Protestant minister's head or a young Catholic priest's head that somehow I'm, you know, uh, a special human being above all others. No, you are a priest, you are a pastor to serve not to be served, and it's the humility. And what Jesus is teaching against 
is a very exalted opinion of oneself. You know, very interesting too, the whole idea of leadership. Father Paul Check, who's a great priest friend of mine, before he became a priest was a Marine tank commander. And, you know, he was in charge. And when it came time to eat, he said, my job as a tank commander was to make sure every man under my authority had their meal to eat. And only after they were served and I uh, made sure everybody had adequate food could I then sit down and eat. That's authority. That's, that's what Jesus was saying here. It's not what words you use to call your minister or your priest, but is, you know, you, you think of yourself something different than other human beings and you're in trouble. You know, we call that clericalism. Does it exist in Catholic Church? Sure. Does it exist in Protestant churches? You bet. And it's not to be servants. That's what we all want to have. Now, here's one for parents. In Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 5, he goes on, Jesus goes on, and just tears into the Pharisees. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by men. And they have phylacteries, these little boxes they were in their head, which were scriptures in there. It's like carrying a big Bible around. That's not bad because I'm reading out of a big Bible right now. That's because of my eyesight. It goes, they love the place of honor at feast and salutations. And basically they were putting on a show. And he says further on in the chapter, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, Few are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. And remember, in the ancient world, you put a body in what's uh, an ossuary, a bone box, and it would decay in there. And it was a real smelly, messy thing. That's what he says. That's what your interior life is like. So he goes on, so outwardly, you appear to be righteous to men, but within are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And let me just tell you, the airwaves and Christian social media are filled with pious phonies, and Americans love this stuff. We fall for it because we're a media-based culture and face it. But bringing it back to parents, and I don't know, I, I guess... You'll hear some things on faith and family every now and then that you might not hear anywhere else. And I'd like to share this with you. I ask you to listen kind of carefully because I think it's important. If you have had, as a parent, a very strong move of God in your life, he's revealed himself to you in a very special, powerful way, then I would recommend for you what I call hidden holiness. A lot of parents think that in order, and, and obviously I think if you've been listening to me for a while, you know you have to be a good model, an example to your kids, but you don't want to overdo it. And again, this is where I think parents can learn something from even the Pharisees, why? It's a good thing to have a strong religious life. And sometimes you think that, okay, for my children, if I just like really put it out there and let them know everything I'm doing and kind of 
make myself different the way I speak and behave and and maybe even pray with them and everything. And I dare say hidden holiness is more powerful than trying to make a show of it. Making a show of it will not keep your kids Catholic in the 21st century. You know, there are two people in the New Testament that really were normal. And that's my test of true spirituality. The person is normal. Uh, when Jesus started teaching and doing his miracles, you know, what's the deal? This is the carpenter's son. And so that second normal person was Joseph. He was normal. I mean, look, his dad's normal. He's normal. And thinking he was his biological father. It's like, you know, what's going on here? And there was a hidden holiness in the Holy Family. And Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, they weren't trying to make themselves act, talk, or uh, overly pious visibly. Yes, they were gracious, kind, loving, God-fearing people, but they didn't make a big to-do about it. It was a hidden piety rather than a broadcast visible piety. Um, And, you know, here in the United States, there was uh, in the mid-19th century and a revival amongst Protestants, particularly around the Western New York area called the Second Great Awakening. And it was a very high-tech, high-octane revival. And I have a little formula here in my notes. High-octane Christianity equals no-octane next generation. And this very uh, robust, visible, loud, emotional, demonstrative piety in the Second Great Awakening resulted in what was called the burnt over district in the second generation. The leader's own kids didn't follow their footsteps in the Christian faith. So um, there's a challenge with the second generation. And we might think, well, if I become real visible, no, just, just live your life. Your kids will know everything about you and they'll detect if there's something real, something alive and something genuine in your heart and mind and they'll catch you doing things. You don't have to broadcast it. Let it be a hidden holiness of Jesus and St. Joseph. And I would urge parents just to follow that path of the Holy Family. And uh, I think you will result in the second generation following your footsteps, at least a lot to a large greater degree. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.